Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Tend Her Wild. Today, we have a special guest here in the studio with us and one of our dear wild friends that we are so excited to have a conversation with. We are excited to introduce you to Andrea Wilson, who combines writing and narrative therapy to create deep exploratory experiences for women and girls to connect with their true selves. And both Kate and I have had the opportunity to have Andrea work her narrative therapy magic on us and it is magic one time I was lying in my bed and she was lying next to me and she was asking me all these narrative therapy questions and I was like oh my gosh where are you taking me this is amazing I had the similar experience I know okay we'll talk talk about that okay so Andrea uses methods of deconstructive empowerment she helps people harness the psychological tools to create and live from new stories of their own personal power she is the director and the creator, we might say, of the Iowa Writer's House, and she leads her own private therapy practice, a right mind, spelled W-R-I-T-E, because she does all this amazing writing work. You can find more information on working with Andrea at www.aritewritemind.com. All right, Welcome, Andrea. Andrea. Hello, friends. Hello. We love having you here. This is really special. We're so excited to have you grace our podcast today we with you. We couldn't do it on the couch or in the bed. <laughs> we had to come we, to the office. We got a couch behind us. <laughs> yeah. We could, uh, yeah. we could yeah. hang out on. So you have been a, a key piece of, so we're just coming to the end of our um, 10 to her 2.0 pro- program. We hope all of our listeners aren't sick of us talking about this every week, but it's been quite a journey. Mm-hmm. We've had a thousand women in this course, actually a thousand fifty to be exact. And uh, Andrea's made her message come through every week as sort of our point person who brings in journal questions and ways to write and sort of take these concepts that we've introduced deeper. So I am just super curious to hear from you what this has been like, because you said to me a couple of times, you're like, this is my jam. I love this. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. First of all, the Tender program is so powerful. I'm sure you both experienced this, but I get messages from friends or stopped on the street regularly with people saying, how much the work is helping them, um, how they're getting to know themselves in new ways. And I even have people say, hey, I haven't done the homework yet, but don't worry, I'll get to it. I say, that's fine. There's, there's like no running rush. Into, right. Running into the teacher. Guilt. It's right, running into the oh, teacher. I didn't finish my assignment. woman guilt is You're not on the hook for timing. It's your work. It's your journey. Yeah. It's your path. But um, Betsy, when you when you talk to me about being the resident narrative therapist and doing the the sort of therapeutic writing and integration, I I knew it felt good. But but truly, being in this role has opened up something in me, which is 
you know, I've, I've known both of you and we've been working together for some time and there's a whole consortium of us, like a, a crew, a squad, I think of, of those of us who are really wanting to, to work with women and be leaders, but the opportunity to be the amplification for your brilliance and to help bring the work of you and Kate and Fanny and Monica and just kind of signal boost that through the integrative writing prompts and the narrative therapy work is so powerful. I love collaboration. Mm. I love working with all of you. And it feels like what I'm able to do is really take your work and go deep with these women. And the messages we're getting back are that, you know, they're getting it double fold. They're doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh That's so true because you can listen like we do classroom style. We listen, have the, you know, take that information in and then you step away from it. And then a couple of days later, you get these prompts that help you say, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to really yeah, apply it apply to my it. own life. And, Absolutely. and there's vulnerability in that, but it's in a, hopefully a safe space for people where they feel like they're not alone. I've got all these other women doing the work too. And so it is really powerful to the collective level and then the individual level and kind of the dance between both. Well, I also think that we are in the very form of that program demonstrating what we're teaching, which is there is knowledge and then there is bringing that knowledge into the body and integrating it into the self. And so you're teaching them that, but then we're also demonstrating it with the work. And it's so powerful to Mm -hmm. see how people respond because they're feeling change already. They're setting aside the time they're writing, they're working with themselves, they're going deep and then they're noticing things And that's so empowering when you really do, maybe after a long period of time of things not shifting or feeling stuck or trying a lot of different things or attending a million classes, all of a sudden you're, you're finding, oh wait, something's different. I woke up today and there was more space or my heart felt different or I'm finding I can connect with the people I live with in a deeper way. Um, You know, one of the moments that you did that was really poignant for me and I know several women on our Facebook page talked about it was you wrote and shared, you were modeling vulnerability. You wrote and shared what you called the ode to your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if we can maybe read and share that now, because I'd like to hear what that felt like for you. Sure. I'd be glad to, I'd be glad to read the letter to my body. Dear body, this letter is a long time coming. There are some things that I need to say. Growing up, I learned a way of being that didn't honor you. When you were hungry, I didn't feed you. When you were tired, I didn't let you rest. When you were afraid, I didn't tell anyone. I thought a good girl doesn't ask for help. Standing sideways in the mirror, doing the dance for others, escaping into the world of imagination in the tree down the hill, Running, running, and running those streets of Ridge Road and leaving you behind. I didn't know what you were to me, what you could do, and how you could help me feel differently. Future-focused, I left you and forgot more and more as the years went by. I'm sorry I told you for most of my life that you were not enough. Today I'm here to change that story, to tell you that you are more than anybody I could have wished for. And so I wrote this poem to you. Ode to you, precious vessel, abundant goddess body, vibrant with life. You received my spirit, carried me out of my mother's womb, feet onto the earth, 
life beginning. You walk me to and fro, heel to toe, heel to toe. You rise, recover, and rejuvenate. You welcome me back when I've forgotten my way. Oh, precious, beautiful body, strong and brave, healing and healer, body of tissue, body of hope, body of the divine. The prodigal daughter, I return to you, knocking at the door, dreaming that warm place, and always you say, come in, dear child, we're glad you're here, welcome home. From now and ever forth, I celebrate you, I rise for you, dear body, you sit on the pedestal of my heart, my first true love. Ah, that was seriously so beautiful. It really is. So moving. Like I would love a framed copy of that. I know. I know. I was just thinking, I'm like, I'm so glad we're sharing this because it's going to go viral because women need to hear those words. It was powerful to write. And, you know, one of the things I love about the Tenter group, sisterhood is probably the best word to call us. We are in the work with everyone. And I love that we share that every week. Um, our own vulnerabilities and the ways that we will be on a lifelong journey to continue on the spiral of going deeper, of knowing the self. Yeah, so good. I was thinking, you know, often with our guests, we talk about those first 10 years and I feel like you beautifully kind of illustrate, like I see you as a child in that letter. Yeah. Um, Can you share with us a little bit more about like your first 10 years and kind of the, your childhood, some things about you that Yeah, so I grew up in a little town in southeast Iowa with 1,500 people, give or take a birth or death, Mm. and uh, I lived on a dead-end street surrounded by trees and nature, and I was a child of the woods. Mm. I ran shoeless. Um, I went back into the timber often, and my mother taught us uh, what it was to bond with nature. She knew all of the wildflowers and would take us out every spring and point them out. She knew all of the tree names and she would talk about them and the different leaves they had. And so we had a real, um, my sister and I is the wee younger sister, Emily. Um, We had a real bond with nature and it was beautiful. And we needed that bond because um, my first 10 years were actually filled with a lot of trauma. And that is a realization that I have come to later in life as part of doing my work and becoming a therapist. You know, I think that uh, I'm 40 and certainly the 80s and 90s, it felt like the sort of the MO in the family life was, it's great. Mm -hmm. This is all working great. We're all happy. We watch Disney movies. We eat popcorn on Sundays. Um, You know, we have a house and two cars and one pet and this is going well. So that was sort of the story I was living in, the narrative, so to speak, that I was living in for the first 30 years of my life. But things began to crack open and my body was trying to shake loose truths that I was unwilling to see. Mm -hmm. And how old were you when you realized that? Well, at 21, I had my first panic attack. Mm -hmm. I was doing an abroad program um, where I was teaching swimming lessons on a naval base in Japan Mm. and I was trying to sleep and flew out of that sleep and asked to go to the emergency room because I was dying and I was clutching my heart and couldn't breathe and it would be the first of a number of those episodes all summer where um, I was actually experiencing chemically and mentally my own death 
And I always tell people the only difference between, you know, a panic attack and the real one is that in the end you don't you don't die, mm. but chemically and, and and physically you experience all of the same fear. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're just still there five minutes later. Yeah. Um, so something was wrong, but I did not have the tools to know what to do. And I went to student health on campus as a junior in college, and they gave me a number of pills, and those pills made me weird and sleepy and not feel right. And again, just, I remember being in school and just knowing that I, I needed to just keep going. Yeah. And that was also, I think, an MO from that time, um, marching order. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, my family is um, generations of Depression era people living on the plains. We push through hard winters. We grow yep. our food. Oh, no, totally. We people die. Pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We bootstrap right. it. Mm-hmm. And we, we, don't, do it. we don't put our hardship on others. Um, community here is a beautiful piece of things, but it is the rugged individualism that gets yes. us through. And we suffer in silence. Yes. With others. Yeah. Yes. So even my family did not have the tools or the knowledge or the verbiage or the background to help me and sending me to my local GP, um, you know, the, the research on anxiety disorder and generalized anxiety at that time was, was pretty limited. So again, more pills. Um, and even as a young person in my twenties, I didn't want to be on pills. I didn't yeah. like that idea. It didn't feel like the answer. No, but, but what I have realized later in life is that, um, what was happening to me was that I had taken in everything Mm. I was the one who was carrying the family trauma. You felt it all. Because I was the little feeler. Yeah. yeah. So for 20 years, you took all of that in and I was stored the, it away. You're the yes. little empath, yeah. soaking it all up like a sponge. Yeah. I knew what everyone in my family needed, and I knew what made them upset and what made them happy, and I knew how to do just the right things inside of the family unit to... Uh, create a safe environment for me and and them but ultimately what I was probably trying to do as a child was secure my own safety absolutely codependency and yeah enmeshment yeah Yeah. and as kids yeah we'll do anything to because we get kicked out of the family we're as good as gone so absolutely your little psyche was trying to figure it out so then you can imagine around in those early 20s when that truth of that trauma trapped in my body of all those years of being afraid was trying to crack out I'm telling people, I have a problem. I need to see a doctor. And they're looking back at me, nodding, going, okay, yes, you have a problem. You are broken. You have anxiety. You have But you're carrying everyone's stuff. Yeah. That, you know, I see that all the time in my uh, clinical practice and that what we call the identified patient, the one coming in with the symptoms is often not the problem. Like they are just the canary in the coal mine. They're the ones saying, yeah, like boom, boom, something's not working. And, and yet they have been told in a very subtle and sometimes unconscious ways that, that this is their problem when they're just carrying and sort of shining light on this bigger systemic thing. And so then the shame that goes along with that, because you yeah. think you're the problem yeah, absolutely. Is, a, is a big piece to work through. I coped with it all um, through a drive for success. And you both know my story of um, 
corporate life and high-powered yeah, jobs. Yeah, tell us. Tell us. So you, college, you, because you're this artist, writer, creative, oh, like yeah. you're... It's in we, my soul. We know that. And I'm sure that's part of what got you through those early years, too, yeah. is you were in nature and you were writing and you were drawing and art and all of this. And then take us on the path of, you know, you went to college, you started to crack open, as you said, um, and then you chose the... I don't know what we call it, the safe path or the traditional traditional path, which is such a story for all of we women Mm -hmm. on many levels. I knew that I had things inside of me that were special and that a lot of them had to do with creativity and expression. And I wanted to give those to the world. But when I looked at the paths in front of me, doctor, lawyer, merchant, chief, you know, nurse, teacher, <laughs> da, 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 da. There are 10. Uh-huh. Like right. the game life. Like the game life. Oh, there are goodness. like seven or eight different careers you can have. I could not find a path that said... Um, artistic person who feels a lot of things who can <laughs> tell truths that other people can't tell and see bombs. things that other people can't see turns out that was not on the form anywhere um and so i remember my art teacher in high school saying to me i just won a big art award like the state of iowa art award mm-hmm. and i said to her um i don't know what i should go into into college but i don't want to be a starving artist oh so that had also mm-hmm. been planted planted oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Depression era parents. I knew you got to go out there and make money to support yourself. So I, and you're smart. So you're really yeah. smart. You, you know, why would you Should go be and be an artist? on the list of 10. Right. So I went into graphic design and I was going to do art through technology. But even in my four years of college, um, I was struggling with being a person behind a computer alone in a room designing things. And so I had this sort of strategic insight that... I could use my creativity, but be the leader more on the business side, more on the strategy side. And that's when I went into advertising. Mm. And that's how I ended up spending the first 10 to 12 years of my career um, in Kansas City and New York City and Toronto and Miami, um, leading Fortune 500 brands with creative strategy. And what I've later discovered is that a lot of advertising strategy is psychology. It's collective Mm -hmm. social dynamics. It's understanding internal motivations. um, It's understanding the way demographics and psychographics crisscross and figuring out how to really embrace motivation to sell. And so not surprisingly, I was good at my job. Yeah, you have a brain for it, for sure. And on top of it, I could understand what everyone in the boardroom was feeling and what they needed to hear. Mm. Well, and let's go back to your first 10 years. You were doing that for... Right. Oh, yeah. I'd been doing that for a long time. Yeah. You came into the world doing that. Yep. So you found success in the traditional way and a really high-powered uh, approach. Yes. And, um, well, I know your story, but... <laughs> behind the scenes, I was behind, crumbling. Behind yeah. the scenes, you were I crumbling. was crumbling. Yeah. My body, my I was seeing a chiropractor almost weekly. Um, during the years in Toronto when I was leading an office, I was um, starting to get ulcers I had huge gastrointestinal issues. I was um, eating yogurt on the regular behind the scenes. Um, I was not sleeping. I was using sleep aids and um, just really struggling with exhaustion and insomnia all the time. Rumination late at night going through my checklist. I wrote emails in my sleep. Literally, Mm. I would wake up in the morning and I would have composed an email. Um, so you never I was, stopped working. No, I never stopped working. And my body. Um, I and was, your agency loved you for that. I just have to point that out. Oh, I was a star. Right? I won awards. Because this is the thing. <laughs> yep. We get 
awarded for killing ourselves. Yes. And as women, we have to do it even more than men because it's mm-hmm. harder to rise up that ladder. Yeah. And so like and you're saying, there. yeah, mm-hmm. you literally mm-hmm. kill your body. Yes. To make it. And I love the people I worked with. So you're looking around at all of these people. And just like when I was, you know, younger with the depression, everyone's like, you're the problem. You're the problem. And now I'm in the agency. I'm the canary in the coal mine. I'm going, I don't think this is good for all of us. Are we sure we should be working holidays? (laughs) You know, maybe this timeline that we sold isn't healthy. And everyone is looking back at me um, like maybe you're the problem. And so it was sort of a repeat of, of that where I was sensing things within myself and my team that they needed and I was not able to give them to them within the system I was in. And so the, the real breakdown was I wasn't able to help myself and I felt I was letting others down mm. and that was killing me. Yeah. So I made a huge decision. Um, I decided to walk away from all of it. And when I say walk away, I mean, I had a sale of every purse and pair of Banana Republic pants and whatever, whatever. Like I made, I made the flyer for my sale and and my heels, everybody come by my life. Like I'm not going to do this one anymore. Wow. I, I had this beautiful two story apartment in our condo, um, on King street in Toronto and everyone that I worked with and all of my friends came over and, um, you know, had, had, yeah shopped and then wanted to hear what I was doing and what I was doing. I wasn't sure, but I had bought a one-way ticket to Argentina and no return. And I knew I was going to spend a year working on my writing and doing photography and interviewing people, especially women um, in different countries to find out what it, what it just meant. I mean, what it was uh, to be alive. Okay. I didn't really Is have it, a like, great, know, great mission statement. I, I know where you're going to go, Kate. <laughs> Do you remember what that, moment felt like the decision the decision when you made that decision like how that made you feel yes and yet it was an ongoing unfolding right I mean and in the beginning it's terrifying because I made it within myself so there was a, there was an inner energy shift there was a truth now that was existing inside of me that the rest of the world didn't know the rest of the world still thought I was Andrea that was going to show up tomorrow and help sell cars. Um, but Andrea had decided inside of herself that that she had actually become someone different and she was going to allow that truth to exist. And there was a three month overlap or maybe even actually I might have given a six month notice um, where I was having to ripple effect that out into the world and carry that truth inside of mm-hmm. me and try to figure out how to give that truth to people in ways that they would hold it and I would believe it. And so there's a wait for a while. It's not like this immediate, like it's better. I was still had to compose the email the next day. Like I was just as excited about the project as ever because I committed to staying for a while. Okay. I think we have to just like make a pause on that too, because that feels like such a big thing for so many women Mm -hmm. that you had, you're living dual lives. Absolutely. Like you're living a life that you're expected to, and you are good at it and Mm -hmm. you know how to function in it. And yet you are, yeah, you're like creating this new inner self and you know, she's more true and she's more wild and she's more real. And yet you have to like hold both of them for a while and that's a really hard place because you you have made the discovery and decision that you're not living in congruence with who you are yes so you know where you're going 
Yeah. But it's like you're sitting at the airport waiting to take off, right. you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm just realizing that your body is almost, because my body was the thing that was telling me, right? Mm. The ulcers, the insomnia, mm-hmm. the back problems. Always does. But then when I made the decision and I have this little thing I'm nurturing inside of me, this new truth, my mind is like, you are crazy. Oh, you're going to walk away from this yes. salary. Yeah. You're going to walk away from this world where all these people are looking at you and telling you you're good. Um you know, so then you're sort of in this cognitive dissonance or this, yes. uh, this tension with your own body where your body's like, get me through to the point where this doesn't hurt anymore. And your mind is like, what if I am effing this up forever? Right. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is also, I feel like everything we've been talking about in this program is that your body doesn't lie to you. Your body keeps the score. Your body knows it was telling you, but the mind is so manipulative and that, that feeling I just want every woman out there to know if you've had said to yourself, I'm, I'm crazy. I think I'm crazy. Right. We've all felt that. Right. Yeah. Yes. And oh, we yeah. feel it because of our culture and these institutions and these jobs that push us and these relationships that don't work and all these things that we are the canary in the coal mine being like yeah. something's off here. Yeah. It must be me. Right. It must be me. I we must be the crazy one. Absolutely. Right. Instead no. of absolutely seeing that we're trying to be in truth. You were you were really living in truth. Yes. And then that that voice comes up. And I think, can we just point out to how sad in our culture that we literally have to get sick to leave? Yes. I've talked about this with Betsy. We get sick. So we have the excuse. So we have an excuse. Right. I was just sitting here thinking, because you asked me to think back about the moment. So I was thinking about the moment when I told the client, which is a different thing than telling your employer, right? Because you hold a certain sort of esteem with your client and they have certain expectations of your loyalty to them. And, and so that, and I always operate in that pleaser mode, right? There I am from young girls saying, I'm doing all this for you. So to tell the client I was leaving and I didn't feel that my illness, this is the feminine experience. I didn't feel that my pain was really the story. I didn't think that anyone would be able to buy or would support like I have back pain and stomach problems. So um, (laughs) I actually told them, and this was not untrue, but it wasn't the whole, even part of the the big picture. I said, I'm going to do charitable work. Because that felt felt like you could. Yeah. Yeah. I sat in the boardroom with the VP of this car company, uh, the VP of marketing. And I said, Andrea, you know, you've done such a wonderful job. You're part of our team. You know, what, what's going on? Where are you, where are you going? Why are you leaving? And I said, you know, I've, I've just had this calling and I've got, I've got to go do this work, but I wasn't able to say, I've got to go do it for myself. That's what I, I was had gonna to say. Yes, I'm going to go do others. it for others. Yeah. I was still the martyr. Yeah. Wow. And the charitable work was for you, right? Like right. there was charitable. It, it was true. You were doing charitable work, well, but it was you returning to you. And I put charitable work at the beginning of my trip. So that I could feel uh, incongruous yes. with that yes. truth oh and honest. God. Yes. God, that's what we do, don't we? Yes. Oh. But how interesting that saving yourself can't be a truth. And the reason that can't be a truth is that then it would be a reflection on everyone else that they're killing themselves. Yes. 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 Or our culture that's so, so messed up that it kills women. We are again protecting others. Yes. I couldn't look at him saying- and say... Well, Jim, I can't stay in this job. I'm dying. And I think you might be too. (laughs) You know, I've been worried about you for a while. You need a break. You might want to look into it too. (laughs) If you want to come, there's probably in Argentina. I'll be in Argentina. Yeah. yeah. Can we get to a point where we can do that? You know, I think we're working working towards it. I was just um, listening to something about tipping points. 
mm. and about what, Betsy, I yeah. think this was, yeah, yeah, I was talking about it. Yeah. And, and, um, I was thinking about what tipping point it will take our culture. And I mean, it, we're, we're coming into it bit by bit and certainly, um, you know, the discussions about everything from healthcare to time off to response to COVID to maternal leave and paternal leave, like all of this stuff is sort of coalescing towards the larger question. Even now, uh, I think in London, they're doing a four day work week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. always going to be step by step by step. It's never going to be just a single, like we all realized, uh, we all woke up in the morning and realized we're unhealthy. We work yeah. too hard. We're killing ourselves and we're not sure why. Well, and this is, and this is my, my world where I think the change comes when it becomes, when you start losing talent at a mm. larger degree, when yeah. you can't retain people, when people, their own well-being is suffering, um, it's, it, takes the, it takes the impact to the bottom line yeah. for the top of a system to say, oh, maybe Absolutely. we ought to look and see what mm, we right. can do different, right? And we're reaching that point, yeah. which means that the, the employees are in the driver's seat. Yeah. And they're saying, if you want me to stay, here's, I want to work four days a week. Yeah. I'm a young mom. I now need to balance all we these things post-COVID. Mm-hmm. This is what I need. Yeah. And the employers that are listening, that are, that are putting well-being above, you the know, profits. The employees that are really yes. talented want to go there. That, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that is what's happening. And it started with a great resignation. People were leaving in droves, mostly women. At a staggering rate. Now women are say, kind of waking up post-COVID. We're not even post-COVID, but you know what I mean? We're, we're coming yeah. back into a time where they've had time to reevaluate their time. Yeah. What they, and, and so there's, they're looking for certain yeah. attributes in a career now. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at a place where they have the ability to speak up. And we as women in these organizations have to help lead those things. And it doesn't mean you have to be at the top to lead. You can be anywhere in an organization, raise your hand and say, I think we should look at this. I think I'm hearing from a lot of people that this is an issue. What can we change policy wise? What can we do? Because we can't, the systems aren't going back to where they are, where they were. I can tell you that this has been, and that movement is such a comfort to me because the are you crazy question is one, you know, I've been holding down for like 10 years of been holding down that I left. I made, I made the decision and was the employee that said, this isn't working for me, but the world kind of went on, you know, during all of my um, time. And so to really see that the movement is happening. Yeah. You were just an early adopter. I was just going to say, I'm not, I'm not a technology early adopter. I'm not an early adopter in a lot of things, but I think in the larger narrative of the world, I am really interested in, have been on a dogged pursuit my whole life of what it means to be a human and how I can live that life in a way that feels aligned with why I came here. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. So you have to take us to South America Oh gosh! Can we just do? Yeah. We, can we do that? Just the little tour of your life. You went to South um, yeah, South America, yeah. and then you eventually came back because you're here with us. I did. But give us the little, the little oh, I'm gonna, tour quick. You can, I'm going to try to do the like short version because, yeah. of course, like you know, the the truth is a saga, um, and I love a good saga. <laughs> I know there's, you do. You're you know, a writer. There's, there's, you love a good good countries, story. and there's men, and there's uh-huh. questions, and there's mistakes, and there's love and all of the things, but 
Um, probably the most important thing to say is that out out there on the road, out spending time with people, I, my heart and soul were really renewed to the truth I'd known all along, that is so many of us are pursuing similar values, similar desires of, of, of happiness and community and connection and to live true authentic lives. And yet, um, when we can't find that in the larger structures, in the systems that are supposed to provide for us, we find those in our own ways. And we're all doing what we can to make it work in the short term, hoping someone's going to heal the larger term while we're at it, while we're working, while we're yeah. keeping bread on the table and kids in school and things like that. And I, I saw those patterns in in beautiful ways in I stayed with families in Brazil. I stayed with, I helped build houses in an earthquake zone in, in Peru. Um, that was part of my charitable work. Mm-hmm. I went to the desert of northern Chile. I spent time uh, with a woman in Ecuador and an, another family um, in Guayaquil. And many of them, I was, you know, spending time with them in their language, in Spanish. Um, and they talked to me about what their traditions were. And what the ways that they have to see life and meaning and the the big questions. And that's all I wanted. I wanted to know what everyone thought about the big questions. Yeah, you're a big question person. Mm-hmm. You don't grow up in a small town and, you know, sit in um, a gymnasium and a church and a classroom of 20 people and not wonder if there's something else out there. If not, I wonder if there's um, more people doing it differently that you could maybe talk to. But you didn't just wonder. You, you. I went. Went. Yeah. Like that is, I grew up in a town of a similar size. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen to everyone. No. And she's an action person. Like what I realize about yeah. you as, I mean, I know you so well, but like, you're I'm just an action. Asking. Like I'm going to take action. I'm going to do it. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go to South America. I'm going to like you, you feel into these big questions, but instead of just sitting on them and like mm. pontificating or, or like staying stuck it. in it, like you, 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 you go, go for it. it and you go, you, ex- you are an experienced person. Yeah. There is this voice inside of me and this um, this motion or I guess like, I don't know, it just I can't ignore it. Like literally, if I ignore it, it makes I, I, I get sick. I get anxious. I get stuck. There's the body feeling. again. It just it's it's like a, an internal compass. But the thing about the compass that I have is that I know that it's about the journey of who I'm becoming, not short term gain. And mm. that is a little bit hard because that is accepting that sometimes that compass is taking me somewhere to learn a lesson or to become something. It's not all going to be easy or fun or this like immediate impact of like, yeah, I did it and it's great. And here's how you should succeed. Point one, two, three. Like Betsy, you recently introduced me to human design and I am like a junkie now. <laughs> I mean, I can't stop. But one of the things that my profile has told me is that I came here in this embodied experience to uh, learn things the hard way to fail my way forward and to go ahead so that then I can turn around and talk to others about it. And that's been a really validating discussion for me or understanding because I have burned my hand on the stove a lot of times and I am now happy to talk to people about the many different ways that you can go about finding your spiritual center. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the wild woman is for all women. Yes. Right. Yeah. The women we are interviewing that have done this, that are doing this, are making it okay for others 
to take their own path of wildness. Right. Yeah. And to fail and to mess yes. up and to live outside of the box and to quit your job and to move to South America and then to, right, like that the wild woman doesn't have to stay in these constructed forms mm -hmm. because that's what you should do. The wild woman is always listening to their body, which you've been talking consistently today about your body new, your body new, right? Yeah. And is, is taking action from there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it is so hard. I just want to say that I really understand that not everyone can do what I did. You know, I have had to make hard choices and I've also had difficult realities to face in my life. And what I'm thinking of primarily is I don't have children and I'm a 40 year old woman who does not have children. And that is something that I suffered about in my thirties considerably, whether to be a mother or not. And I didn't have the partner, but also I just wasn't sure if that was my path. And I kept questioning my own value of how could I be this, this, this woman who I, who had all of this empathic ability and this love for people and particularly a love for children. I mean, children, I am the little girl in me that remembers what it was mm. to be barefoot in that tree. Our children love you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my kids are obsessed with Andrea. Yeah. So you are a mother. Yeah. You're just not a mother in the traditional sense, yeah. Andrea. And and these years have helped me learn that. Yeah. That I can mother, um, that I can mother through my therapeutic work, that I can mother through my friendships, through my Auntie A mm -hmm. ways. I can be I can give to this world still, and I can also respect the needs of my body and the path that I've been given, which um right now, uh, in this moment and what I foresee in the future is is the path of a woman therapeutically uh, helping other people discover their truths and go on a journey that she's just spent the last 20 years on. Yeah. So that's why I think that, that all these ties are coming together and that you are this wild woman. You are a truth teller. You have been following truth. You've been on this massive healing journey, constantly asking the big questions, constantly going inward, right? Um, in love with people, in love with story, in love with helping others. Um, and so it all kind of seems to have coalesced together in this really beautiful thing you've done in these last couple of years, which is find something called narrative therapy and pursue this degree and now help people with it. And as a therapist myself, I didn't know about narrative therapy. You were yeah, the you one who us. like enlightened me about this. So will you tell us about that path and what you do with people? Because again, like Kate and I said, we've both been You've helped us with this, mm -hmm. with narrative therapy it's and powerful. I want the world to know about yeah. this. So tell us about how you found it and what your path has been like. So narrative therapy came to me from the universe and mm. I did not know about it either. And what I did know was that I had spent um, six years working and running a writing house that I'd founded because I believed in the power of story and I'd seen miracles happen in the writing workshop room. So I knew that the power of writing and story existed, but I still categorized it in my mind as sort of in that art area, in that hobbyist area. And, you know, uh, I had some deep seated um, narratives myself about what art was and what it uh, what be it a gave starving us. artist, right? Yeah, be a starving mm -hmm. artist. 
And who who are the leaders of our society? You know, the scientists and the businessmen and women. And I say men first because, mm-hmm. you know, that was a big part of it. It's so much of the, the research um, scientifically about mental health um, has been written by men and studies and on, studies men, on yeah. men and their needs and yes. the way they process what is true. So in the middle of um, a deep crisis in my life and really, uh, really, I think a breakdown of everything, a deconstruction of everything that I thought was true, I was looking myself for truth. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Marianne Williamson, and I might not get this exactly right, but she says, you know, don't waste a good breakdown. Like there's nothing like a good breakdown mm-hmm. that really gives you the opportunity to say, what do I believe in? Where am I going from here? Mm-hmm. And so I call this my take it down to the studs moment where I, um, I decided to step back from work and life and really examine uh, the center of my framework psychologically, philosophically, and what I wanted to do to create truth in my own life and to shut out all of the voices that were trying to tell me what was true. And in the middle of that process, uh, a woman who I, is a dear friend named Hope Edelman, who I've taught with and um, has come to my writing house and taught, she said to me, Andrea, have you ever heard of narrative therapy? Because I think this is something you should really check out. And I'll tell you, when, when a voice comes to me, when the voice from the divine speaks through someone else, I get tingles. I know. And the minute Hope said that to me, and I was already in the middle of this deconstructive process, I said, okay, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the week, I had already planned to turn my life into um, a sort of wayfinder and seeker and eventual professional for people who want to use um, deconstructive technique, writing, narratives to understand the way we as people adopt story as part of what we believe is true from a very young age, the way we carry those stories and the way those stories then divine, define the way we see ourselves in the world as adults after uh, when we haven't even given ourselves the chance to evaluate them and say, is this what I actually mm. believe? Mm. Yeah. And I, I, we were along. Yeah, you were along for with the ride. you. And it was like a light bulb for you. Like, and you just went for it. But you are a beautiful illustration of just someone who is aware and tuned in to yourself, which means when these opportunities show up, you, you seize them. You've done that your whole life. Yeah. And that, and now you have the opportunity to help others trust, yeah. you know, and, and how their narratives can get in the way of them taking advantage Absolutely. of the things that show up for them. We are all living inside narratives that were given to us um, at many different levels, at the level of family, at the level of personal worth all the way up to the level of state, country, world, and existence. And every one of us has the right to question those, to do our own research, to look into them, and to find the truth that feels the best for us. And that doesn't mean that you have to abandon everything that you had, but it does mean that you get the opportunity to foundationally solidify it within yourself by asking the questions and sometimes that process is best led by someone else asking you the questions and helping you realize what it is you do truly believe. Yeah. And I can attest to that because I, I had a too. Sunday afternoon where I was like, sure, I'll be a test case. I mean, yeah, but I'll, 
I'll answer some questions for you. And then half hour in, I was like, and then this happened and then that kind of team. And I was like, what? What is happening? Yeah. It opens you up. Yeah. yeah, that was my experience too. It was like, I think mine was a Sunday afternoon too. She had been at my house for yeah. the weekend and um, I was lying on my bed and she, she uh, was next to me and said, okay, we're going to do this. I was struggling with something. I don't even remember what. And she just started asking these questions. And I also think of myself as this person who's done all this inner work oh, and yeah. I know all these things about myself and I was a puddle and I was crying and I was like, how does she know to ask these questions right now? And yeah, yeah, it's a powerful process. We have, I think as women, spent our whole lives in, in service, right? In service of others and even suffering from human giver syndrome of overgiving out. So when we have time and space to truly deeply explore ourselves, and sometimes I feel like my presence there with people is just validating the fact that they get this time to explore, that they have the right, that they can they can go deep with themselves because we've trained ourselves not to as a way of survival and then as a way of taking care of others. Mm. And then the second piece is really listening for the, the questions behind the questions for the frameworks behind the beliefs and helping people get there because we all need help to really, uh, I think go there with ourselves. Mm. Okay. So tell us who would be an ideal client to work with you. Tell us who, um, like what, what type of woman really would benefit from this type of work? So many, um, you know, I believe so deeply in the work, um, and narrative therapy, I should say has, you know, um, really strong academic and scientific roots. And it was founded by, uh, an Australian social worker and a, a New Zealand marriage and family therapist, but they tied all of the foundational, work of narrative therapy to um, philosophy and scientific principle that's that's taught inside of academic institutions and um, in and scientific theory. But the part I want to say it is it also has feminist roots and Aboriginal roots because they worked on the foundational creation of narrative therapy with Aboriginal communities and with women. So when you ask like who are the ideal clients and who are the women that, that would benefit from this? The answer is everyone who is coming to a place where they're questioning the reality that they're living in, or they're feeling a sense that something things aren't working, but they don't know why. So they're saying to themselves, am I crazy? If they're asking themselves <laughs> if they're crazy. It's for you. It's there for, mm-hmm. there for this work. Mm-hmm. There for this work. Just let's be pretty honest. Much pretty much all of us. Much yeah. All yeah. yeah. Especially in the last few years, yeah. you just, there's... A lot that's bubbling up for people. We've talked about trauma setting in a couple of years after an event. We've had collective trauma. I feel like we are in this place right now where there's a lot of questioning going on of, is this, is this the marriage I want to be in? Is this the job I want to be in? Is You know, life suddenly feels very tender and very mm-hmm. short, yeah. I think. And so... Precious. 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 That's a way better word. And so... Yeah, reach out because I, I, it is, it is the most movement you can have. I mean, if, if writing is a window to your soul, beautiful, Kate. right? Then yeah. what you're doing with people is helping them in an afternoon. And it was, mm-hmm. like an, I think we spent an hour, hour and a half, like coming to terms with kind of what's hold, what, what narratives are holding me back, which yeah. is what we need to launch forward into whatever is next for us. Yeah. 
And you know, we are all layered people. And so we can choose. Um, there are women that come that want to work with me on excavating the first layer of something they're they're working through. And there are people that come and they know they need a deep excavation and rebirth process. And we can do either of those. We can start with an afternoon or we can set out on a journey together. And I'm all in, you know, wherever people want to be. So good. We're going to, in a moment, people can learn how to find Andrea and her work, but we have, we have to end with with this beautiful question. We ask all of our guests. Mm. Okay. So in the infamous book, women who run with the wolves by Dr. Clarissa Piccola Estes, she talks about how there are a few precious doors into the world of the wild woman. So she writes, if you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much you can almost not bear it, that is a door. If you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. So Andrea, which door do you think took you into your life as a wild woman? I think the last one, the desire for a deep and full life. I have always wanted more. Mm. I have always wanted more richness of people and connection more soul more heart more truth I've asked myself my whole life why I can't just be happy with what I have but I think I am and I just know there's more out there yes yes we both took a big sigh together yeah that that idea of like why shouldn't this be enough shouldn't I just be grateful for what I have and I love that the seeker in you because it's in me and I know it's in Kate sort of like there's nothing wrong with us for believing life could be more beautiful and attempting to find that path and what will that do to the collective if more of us are wanting more yeah i'm 40 and these are the best years of my life and i'm determined to make the next 40 even better Mm. we love you andrea thank you for this beautiful conversation yes and we'll put all the contacts oh yes tell us Tell us right now, and then we'll put it yeah. in the show notes as well. Well, you can work with me. Uh, I invite any of you know, the women out there, even if you're questioning whether this is something for you, um, I do a and free the men, consultation. If there's men too. Yeah, yeah. everyone. Um, you can do a free consultation with me, and you can book that at my website, arightmind.com, or email me at andrea at arightmind.com, and that is right, W-R-I-T-E. And mostly I just love to, you know, talk with people and help people understand how this work can really benefit their hearts and their souls and give them peace in a time of upheaval in the world. There are many of us who are wayfinders and seekers, and we are finding foundation and new points of peace. And I want to share that with others. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.